This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Paul's letter, first letter to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. text this morning is a brief one, short one, and yet one with much to say. While you're turning there, I do want to invite you just to emphasize uh, Mike's announcement earlier about the Thanksgiving service tonight, to invite you to return at 6 o'clock for that time uh, to give thanks to the Lord as a group, but also individually to have opportunity to uh, to publicly speak and give thanks to God, uh, maybe for general things, maybe for something in particular uh, that the Lord has blessed you with this past year. So I hope you'll be here tonight at 6. This morning uh, we are looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Hear the word of God. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this verse and that it is here in the Bible. It is recorded and preserved for our instruction and for our blessing. And Father, we thank you for it and pray as we think about it now for the leading of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Young people are often concerned as they look ahead in their life with the whole question of God's will. What is God's will for me? What is God's will for my life? And all of us at one time or another, especially when we're faced with uh, a, a large decision, wrestle with that question. What does God want me to do? What is God's will for my life? Well, it's... Difficult sometimes, especially looking ahead, to answer that question. Looking back, we can see what God's will was as it was worked out in our lives. Uh, but there are times uh, when the scriptures are very pl- plain and very clear about what God's will is for us. Obviously, his will is that we uh, believe in the Lord Jesus and that we are saved. It's his will that we uh, walk in his ways in obedience to his word by his grace. We think, well, that doesn't help. I want particulars. I want specifics. Well, right here in this passage, we have something very specific concerning God's will for your life. And God's will for your life, I can say on good authority, is this. God wants you to give thanks in all circumstances. God wants you to give thanks in all circumstances. We ask, well, how is that possible? Of course we understand that uh, when we're enjoying prosperity, you know, when it's Thanksgiving and we have family and we are gathered and there's plenty to eat and things are going well. We understand how we can give thanks in those times. But what about when things are not going well? What about in the middle of the, and we would admit, relatively minor irritations of life when they occur? You're late for work, you go out car won't start. You get that annoying clicking sound that it seems to make just to irritate you. Car won't start. Your husband goes out of work on business, leaving you with the children who promptly come down with the flu. 
And heretofore, having ignored your lesson to share, they suddenly start applying that admonition and promptly share it with you. Uh, all these minor irritations in life that come up, can we give thanks in those things? Well, maybe it's not the minor irritations. Maybe it's the uh, staggering blows, the hard things, the painful things, the death of a child, the death of a spouse, the death of a marriage. Can we give thanks to God in those dark times, as the Scripture tells us here, times of pain, times of grief? Well, Paul's words here, occur as one of a triplet, a trio of three short commandments, beginning in verse 16, where he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and then give thanks in all circumstances. You'll notice that in each of these things, they're to characterize the life of the believer all the time. They're, they're, they're absolute, they're universal. Rejoice always. He says, pray without ceasing, without stopping. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, all of those are worth looking at. With Thanksgiving approaching, I want us to look at that last one, the one that I just read a few moments ago. Now, obviously a short verse, and we want to look at it in light of uh, all of Scripture, drawing from various parts of Scripture to sort of flesh it out. Before we do, let's just look at the words that are there, kind of as some preliminary considerations. Notice, Paul says we are to give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't say for all circumstances. You know, thinking about that reminds me of the story of the two guys who were heading through a field and they notice a bull charging them. They start running and one of them says to the other, send up a prayer, John, or we're done for. And John says, well, I've never prayed in public in my life. I can't do it. And his friend says, well, the bull is getting closer. You need to pray. And John says, well, I don't know any prayers except the one I learned from my father as a child. Dear Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. Well, you may feel like a bull's charging. Are you supposed to thank God for this bull that is about to trample you in life? Well, he doesn't say give thanks for. He says give thanks in all circumstances. And yet, as we'll see, I hope in just a few moments, it is possible to give thanks ultimately for all circumstances. But Paul doesn't say that here. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. And it is striking that he writes those words to believers who are suffering persecution. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So he's writing this to people who have their share of difficulties. Also, a second preliminary consideration. We're to give thanks because this is God's will for you. Now, that expression could cover all three of those little short commands. We rejoice always because that's God's will. We should pray without ceasing because that's God's will, and those things are. But we know for certain that we are to give thanks in all circumstances because that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, whether that statement about God's will concerns just the last one about giving thanks or all three. It's obvious it applies to giving thanks in all circumstances. Third preliminary consideration, we are to do this because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul is speaking here to Christians because ultimately I think only Christians can do this. One, because of God's grace, which the the unbeliever doesn't have, but two, 
Because only in Christ Jesus does it make sense to give thanks in all circumstances. Paul isn't sending out a general admonition to all humanity here. Everyone should be thankful. He's saying you should give thanks always in Christ Jesus. That is, in the context of being one who has been redeemed by his blood. And that's foundational for being able to give thanks in all circumstances. So with those preliminaries in mind... What I want us to do is look at this text. Now, what it says is plain enough. But the question that I think most naturally would arise for us is how? How can I do that? How can I give thanks in all circumstances? Well, that's what we want us to look at here. So two principles I want us to use to organize our thinking about this text. The first principle is this. We can give thanks to God in hard times. We can give thanks to God in hard times. And I say we can because the question here is one of possibility. How can I do that when my heart is broken? How can I do that when my life is in shambles? Is it possible? And I say to you, yes, it is possible. We can give thanks genuinely from the heart to God in hard times. How? Well, How do we do that? How can we continue to do that? Well, remember two things. One, we have to remember to keep a long-range perspective. So often the difficulty in giving thanks comes because we can't see any farther than the difficulty we're faced with. To keep a long-range perspective. What I mean is to keep in mind your hope of heaven. Now, I did say long-range. Some of you, it may not be that far out. You don't know. But I did say long range, and because we talk about heaven, we say, oh, well, that's not even, it doesn't even seem real. How does that affect my life now? But it should, because it did believers in Scripture. It has uh, given assurance to believers ever since. And let me give you just a few examples from the Scriptures. Romans 8, verse 18, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, Paul knew what it was to suffer, but he says those sufferings are not worth comparing with that glory that is coming, that will one day be revealed to us. How is Paul dealing with the difficult circumstances? He's taking the long-range view. He's looking at what is to come in glory, and he says this suffering pales in comparison to the great joy that we will have then. Or Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34 uh, where the writer is speaking to Christians who have known what it is to suffer persecution in ministering to one another, he says this. He said, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. He's commending them. He's not telling them to do this. He's saying you were willing to minister to those in prison, to expose yourself as Christians, to suffer loss because you knew you had better and abiding possessions in heaven. Again, that long range view. Or again in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where the writer describes Jesus' own outlook. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We just studied in depth in Matthew the suffering and crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. And the writer of the Hebrews says one of the things that enabled him to do that was the anticipation of the joy that is to come. Again, a long-range view, looking beyond the immediate suffering. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, 
First Peter 1 6, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Peter also, and, and other places in Scripture, we could look at various verses and uh, you could look at the writings of believers ever since, in the days since the New Testament, who have been steeled in the midst of suffering by their anticipation of better things to come. Now, to do that requires faith. That that heaven, that that glory, that the presence of Christ is in fact a real thing, just like the suffering you are enduring is a real thing, and in fact is more real and more lasting. That's what I mean. You look at Scripture, you have to take a long-range perspective. The point isn't to minimize suffering, it's not to say the suffering is not important or painful. It's simply to say we need to keep our perspective, who we are, because remember, we give thanks in Christ Jesus. So whatever we gain, whatever we lose, we can't lose that glory that is to come. But we're also talking about this. We can give thanks in hard times, not only by keeping a long-range perspective, but we need to remember to trust in divine providence. Have confidence that God is in charge and that he is reigning. Of course, Romans 8.28 is the, is the classical verse uh, that addresses this. We know that God works in all things, uh, all things together for good, for his glory, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That God works all things together for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? You've got to be careful with that verse. That's a verse for you to cling to. Sometimes when someone's hurting, when they are really devastated, that's not the verse to share with them. They may know that. They don't need to hear that. It tends to almost at, the point, at that point sound like it minimizes their suffering. So be very careful with that verse. But for you, we need to remember that. We need to remind ourselves of that when things are difficult. Now, what is God's providence doing? We don't always know. We may have something happen and we think, how can anything good possibly come out of this? That's God's problem, ultimately, not yours. And you leave that with God and trust him for that. But here are several good things that, generally speaking, can come out of the suffering that God leads us through. One, through that hard time, through that suffering, God is making you more like Christ. Romans 8, 29 Speaks to that. 28 says God works all things together for good. Those who love him, those called according to his purpose. In the next verse, Paul says, For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. What is God's purpose in working all things together for good? What is that good? Well, we can say for certain that it at least it includes our being shaped into the likeness of Christ. Suffering has a way of purging away the unchristlike things in our life. Suffering tends to give you humility. Suffering tends to make you more compassionate toward others. Suffering tends to give you a greater sense of dependence and trust in God in a way that anything outside of heartache can't and doesn't. If you can't thank God for anything else in the middle of suffering, 
Thank God that he can use that to make you more like Christ and pray that he would. Don't resist it. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Say, Lord, use this to make me like Jesus. There's a second thing God may be doing here in his providence. He may be giving you a testimony that one day will be a blessing to others. First Thessalonians 1, uh, verse, verses 6 and 7 and 8 uh, we read six earlier. He talks about their receiving the word in affliction, persecution, suffering. Why? Well, verse seven goes on to say, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. But not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. You see, their suffering, their joy in their suffering in receiving the gospel uh, became itself a testimony, a witness, an encouragement to other believers. When God leads you through suffering, even, even in the middle of it or maybe after he's brought you through, he may be giving you a strong testimony of God's faithfulness and goodness even in the middle of it and joy in the middle of it. Because our response to suffering as Christians isn't to be some grim stoicism, you know, stiff upper lip, just bear it. But joy in Christ, even in the middle of it. Uh, Paul in Philippians 1.14 says, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, Paul's imprisonment and his response to that emboldened and encouraged others who may find themselves enduring the same kinds of things. So in his providence, God is making you more like Christ. God is is giving you a testimony of his faithfulness in the middle of it. Third, uh, we talk about trusting in divine providence. God is equipping you to minister to others through it. Now, you may not care anything about that at the time. But nevertheless, God may be preparing you for something in the future he has for you to do through that suffering. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.4, Paul speaks of the Lord who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, when others suffer in a way similar to how you once suffered, One, you're able to come to them and say, legitimately, I know what you're going through. Maybe they have cancer and you had and and have been dealing with cancer. Or maybe the loss of a spouse and you have lost a spouse. There is a legitimacy there, a validity to go to someone and say, I know what you're going through. I may not know exactly how you feel, but I know I experienced something very similar to what you're going through now, which gives you... Uh, a platform which gives you uh, the opportunity to be able to minister to them in a way that someone who has never been through that can't. Now, yes, they can encourage. Yes, they can comfort. Yes, they can minister. But you're sharing that experience is something that gives you a door that's a little more open because you've been there. And not just that shared experience, but the experience of God's grace. Paul says he comforts us in our afflictions so that we can pass that comfort on to others, comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. So you are in a position, having suffered, or maybe even in the middle of suffering, then to encourage and minister to others. And we trust in God's providence that God is, through that, testing and refining our faith. We want to grow as Christians. We just don't want to go through what it takes to grow as Christians. 
But we have to admit, and you know it's true, that so often much of our growth, much of our strengthening in Christ comes when we're tested. It comes when we're pressed. It comes when things are hard. Peter speaks to this when he speaks of the tested genuineness of our faith. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, like gold that's tested, God tests our faith. He burns away the impurities, removes the dross, uh, testing and proving our faith, strengthening our faith. That's a good thing, even though it hurts to go through it as God knocks off those rough edges that make us unchristlike. So we trust God's providence, that he is at least at work in these different ways to to make us like Christ, to give us a testimony of his faithfulness, to make us useful to others, to test and prove the reality and the strength of our faith. Can you not give thanks to God for those things in your trials, even if for nothing else? Absolutely, because those are valuable. Those are things that we might gain in in ways no other than, than going through the pain of suffering. Does it minimize the pain? No, but it does give meaning to it. Even if we don't see other meanings, more detailed meanings, it does give meaning to our suffering. And you see, that's only in Christ Jesus. So the first principle that we draw from this passage is if Paul tells us to do this, if this is God's will for us, then yes, we can give thanks, even in hard times. But that leads to a second principle, and that's this. We must give thanks to God in Good times. We must give thanks to God in good times. In hard times, the question is one of possibility. Can I do that? How can I do that when my heart is broken? Well, here, the question is not so much one of possibility as it is necessity. You see, the danger in hard times is that we become embittered. We become angry and refuse to give thanks to God for anything, even those good things that he may be doing through the suffering. Here, the danger in the good times is that we simply forget. We just don't think about it because we're not pressed. Things are so good here that that the danger is that we just sort of forget God all together. And so we must remember that we must give thanks to God in the good times. It's necessary. It's Indeed, it's essential for two reasons. Let me give you a couple of reasons from other places in Scripture uh, but that tie in with this verse that Paul gives us here for two reasons. First, to give thanks to God is obviously a demonstration of gratitude and an expression of gratitude to God. Remember Jesus and the ten lepers who come to Jesus, leprosy, that horrible disease uh, that, that to be diagnosed with it uh, was to be sentenced to uh, banishment socially, even from your family, uh, to be ostracized, as unclean, to have to keep your distance from everybody, a bleak, bleak existence, a living death. And they know of Jesus, they cry out to Jesus for healing, and Jesus, uh, he simply says, go and show yourselves to the priests, which was what they were to do, to be examined and diagnosed with it to begin with, but also if it proved not to be, and they could be declared clean. And so that's what they're doing. They're going to the priests and they discover that they're healed, but only one returns to give thanks to Jesus. And you'll notice what Jesus says. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. He says, 
We're not all ten healed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? The man was a Samaritan. Those are convicting words. Jesus says we're not all ten healed. Yes, they were. Where are the other nine? Were they happy to be healed? Of course they were. Were they thankful to be healed? Yes, you could say that they were grateful that their encounter with Jesus had resulted in their being healed. And Jesus wasn't faulting them for that. But he does say, was none found to return and give thanks to God except this one. He was the only one who came back and consciously, uh, actively, verbally gave thanks to God. Jesus noticed, and Jesus commends him for that. He says, go, your faith has saved you. Translations uh, often say it's made you well, but it's the word there for being saved. And he was saved, he was made whole. But Jesus commends him, Jesus notices. You see, we must give thanks to God in good times because God notices. He notices if we do, he notices if we don't. And so we think about these things, to give thanks to God for our blessings, for the freedom we enjoy, the prosperity, health, family, and above all, for our salvation. You say, well, you know, I don't have any family, my health is not good, and so forth. Well, you can give thanks to God for salvation, but you can also give thanks to God for what you don't have. You ever gone to the doctor's office, you sit down and they give you that inevitable form, your history to fill out. And you go after all these diseases, you know, this, 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 starting from A, working your way to Z. You know, do you have this? No. Do you have this? No. Do you have this? No. Oh, wait, I do have that check. Okay, do you have this? No. No, no, no. Do you ever give thanks to God you don't have all those things? You may have some of them. You may have one of them. But you go through those things and you think of all of the things that someone could suffer from, all the ailments. And I suggest, even if your health is not that great, that you check no to more of those than you did yes. Can you not give thanks to God, if not for what you have, then for what you don't have? We need to be careful to give thanks to God because that is a demonstration of gratitude to God for his blessings, maybe what he's given, maybe what he's held back from us. Because we know that the Lord notices. It's just Jesus noticed there. There's another reason that we must give thanks to God in good times, certainly to express to him our gratitude, but also to acknowledge to him and to ourselves our dependence, our absolute, complete dependence on the Lord for everything. That was part of Israel's problem in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's a warning here that they not forget their dependence on the Lord. Deuteronomy 8.11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. We need to give thanks to God, if only to remind ourselves how utterly dependent we are on the Lord. 
You know, the degree to which you are dependent on God is absolutely breathtaking. You know, when Paul's speaking in Athens in Acts chapter 17, he says to them, God gives to all men life and breath and everything else. That your heart continues to beat is a gift of God. That you continue to exist at all is a gift of God. So, absolutely dependent, even to your heart beating when you're asleep, to your lungs continuing to take in and process the air that you breathe. 1 Corinthians 4.7, as Paul's writing to the Corinthians and their divisions and then their tendencies to side with one of their leaders over another, and their tendency to boast in their spiritual gifts that they have, Paul says to them, what do you have that you did not receive? That is, receive as a gift from God. What, did you, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, if you acknowledge that as you're supposed to, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Sometimes I think we can be like those Israelites. Everything's multiplying, things are going well, we're doing great, and there's a tendency to think, I've done pretty well for myself. What do you have? What do you have at all that you did not receive as a good gift from God? See, when times are good, we must be careful to give thanks to God. One, as an expression of gratitude to Him, and two, as a reminder, if not to him, then to ourselves, how utterly dependent we are on him every time, all the time. Thanksgiving's on your calendar. Is it in your heart? See, you may be going through some discouraging times, some hard times, maybe some painful times right now. And yet it is possible to give thanks to God in those hard times. And even as he's making you more like Christ for those hard times, uh, even as you're going through them. Yes, it is possible. Maybe things are great right now. You're doing well. Uh, personally, doing fine financially. Children are good. Marriage couldn't be better. Dear friends, in those situations, you must give thanks to God. You must consciously and actively remind yourself, make yourself go to God in all sincerity to give thanks to him, making known to him your gratitude and acknowledging to him your dependence on him. Because as Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Thank you, Lord, whether our times are good or bad. Thank you, Father, for who you are. That never changes regardless of our circumstances. And thank you, Father, for what you have done for us in Christ, an eternity that cannot be marred or diminished by the ups and downs of our lives here. Father, we thank you also that even in the midst of these things, you are at work. Father, we pray that you'd work on our hearts. Take away from us any sense of entitlement from you, Lord. Our sins have forfeited any claim upon you at all. Lord, fill us with an overwhelming and real sense of gratitude to you, for your blessings to us, our families, our church, our nation, our world. And above all, Father, we thank you that by your grace we are in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.